0: We, uh, we have the blessing this morning to have the man with us to preach who used to be my bishop. Up until about four days ago, he was the superintendent of this region of our denomination, uh, California, Nevada, Hawaii, Arizona, soon to take over the rest of the country too, I think, under his leadership. But in the middle of that, just toward the end of his first term of that call, he shared with me that a strange uh, stirring started to happen in his heart he had been contacted by folks at World Impact they're looking for a new president and would he consider talking with them and Ephraim said yeah I'll consider talking with you but I'm pretty solid in this call I have and the Lord began to gnaw away and make it real clear to Ephraim um, that his next ministry was going to be that ministry to serve as president of World Impact and we weren't real thrilled about losing him as our superintendent but we're not losing him as our friend or to our denomination we just are very thrilled about the fact that he gets to go after his heart for inner city youth inner city issues those who are underserved and facing some real tough times to make a big difference there and bring the kingdom of god in those contexts ephraim smith is uh sought after as a preacher in my opinion he's the best uh Certainly the best young and emerging preacher in the whole country. He happens to be my favorite. I never go and hear him preach where I'm not stirred, challenged, haunted, and, uh, and desperate to move forward. And so I, I just counted a privilege to have Ephraim here. Would you welcome Pastor Ephraim Smith?
1: Well, I am uh, so honored and thrilled to be here uh, not only I get a, a, an additional treat because uh, not only am I preaching uh, to Marin Covenant Church, but for Marin Asian Community Church to be here as well—that is a, an additional blessing for me. That that you are here and that this is a—we get a greater picture of what the kingdom of God looks like because these two churches are worshiping together this morning. So that that's a tremendous blessing for me. Um, you know. Uh, Art Greco has been a, a dear friend to me. When I first came into the Evangelical Covenant Church as a church planter, oh man, uh, 12 years ago now, uh, he, um, he was a tremendous blessing to me and um, prayed for me and prayed over me at significant times in my life and ministry. So I am uh, grateful for that. I'm going to read to you from the Gospel of Matthew. There's a word in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. 25. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, beginning with verse 31. Jesus is speaking. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or need clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. From this text, I want to preach to you on the title, Advancing the Kingdom of God advancing the kingdom of God. Lord, uh, I pray that you would preach this sermon because of the tremendous pressure that Pastor Art put on me in his introduction. I pray that I wouldn't even be the one preaching, but you would preach and I would just simply be a vessel, a vehicle that you would decide to use to speak to these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers. God, I desire to be obedient to your word. So please, Lord, let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Advancing the kingdom of God. Um, I should confess to you, since you uh, don't know me all that well, and that um, I, I seem to have this obsession with superhero movies. And so uh, I, I just love going to see movies that are about superheroes. Uh, they even have, uh, you know, a, a TV show now on, on Tuesday nights, you know, the, 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 the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. based on a Marvel comic book series. And so I'm, I'm just really into superheroes. In 2012, it was a great year if you were into superhero movies. I mean, I saw The Dark Knight Rises, the Batman movie three times. I saw the Avengers. Uh, three times. <laughs> uh, I was an underachiever when it came to the reboot of The Amazing Spider-Man. I only saw that once. And uh, I know that in just a couple weeks uh, the second movie in the Thor series is going to come out. And then like next year, Captain America 2 Winter Soldiers coming out. And in 2015, The Avengers 2 is going to come out. And also uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is going to come out. By 2016 you're going to get the next Superman installment movie. And Batman is going to be in the movie with Superman. I I do know a few things about the Bible, too. Uh... But, man, do I know my superhero movies. I I should have a Ph.D. in comic bookology. Uh, You know, this this love for superhero movies really goes back to my childhood, and I I grew up reading comic books. And I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, in the summer months, uh, my friends and I, we would would meet at the corner of the block where I grew up, and we would all bring our comic books. We'd bring our Superman, our Spider-Man, our Fantastic Four. We'd bring all our comic books, and we would trade them but there was one comic book series I would never trade. It was a Superman series called Bizarro World. And the story arc went something like this. There was this other realm, this other planet known as Bizarro, and it was full of evil and injustice. It was an upside down, very broken, unjust world. And there was a person in Bizarro World who looked just like Superman, except he was as evil as Superman is good. And Bizarro World was threatening to invade, infiltrate planet Earth. And so Superman made a sacrifice of himself, and he left Metropolis to go into Bizarro World to take on this evil threat. Now, to go with this story arc, you have to believe that for the most part, planet Earth is good. That planet Earth is full of goodness and harmony and community and peace. And it is bizarro world that is unjust and upside down. It is bizarro world that is full of evil. But uh, you don't have to live in this world very long to know that this is actually bizarro world. You and I actually live in an upside down world. And yes, there are places where there's goodness and there's harmony and there's peace and there's reconciliation, but there's far too many places on this planet, in this world that we live in, where there's brokenness, far too many places where there's deep poverty, where there's division and dysfunction, where there's broken families. We live in an upside-down, bizarro world, sisters and brothers. But here is the good news. Over 2,000 years ago, someone greater than any comic book superhero ever written about, his name is Jesus, came into this upside-down world, and he gave us a picture of what it would look like if it was set right. He preached the kingdom of God. He presented the kingdom of God as the way for this world to be set up right again, to look, to, 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 to be what God created it to be in the first place before the fall. Jesus preached the kingdom of God. He performed the kingdom of God. He showed us what the kingdom of God would look like. And then he placed the mission of advancing the kingdom of God before his followers. Jesus said to his followers that, yes, he was going to the cross. Yes, he was going to the grave. He would come out of the grave, but one day he would return for us. The major question for the church today is how is the church to function? What is the church to be? What mission should the church pursue until Jesus comes back? I heard an old preacher once say that when Jesus returns, when Jesus comes back, this is ultimate justice. But until then, it's just us. (laughs) That God has decided that the way that this world would know the love of God, the justice, the peace, the grace, the transformation, the empowerment, the healing of God in this upside down bizarro world would be through the church would be through the beloved sons and daughters of God. This is the mission. This is the mandate to reach the lost, to make disciples, to bless the broken, to be vehicles through which the world can experience the kingdom of God. This is our call. This is our mission. Here's the big idea of this message. God desires to use you and I to be the vessels, the vehicles through which the world experiences the kingdom of God. God desires to use you and I to be the vessels, the vehicles through which the world experiences the kingdom of God. How will the world know that God is real? How will the world know that God desires to bring God's love and justice and peace and empowerment and purpose to this world, except we make ourselves available to be those vessels through which God does that miraculous work. That is the big idea. That is the large, awesome, supernatural opportunity that awaits us. Here in Matthew chapter 25, God in Jesus, God in human form, gives you and I three pictures of this kingdom that we are to be advancing. I mean, if we're going to be the vessels, the vehicles through which God advances his own kingdom, it would be important for us to have a deeper understanding of what is the kingdom of God? How do I know that I'm living in the kingdom of God? How do I know I'm experiencing the kingdom of God? How would I know that I'm releasing, that I'm sharing the kingdom of God with the lost, with the broken? How would I know that? Jesus gives us three pictures so that we might understand more deeply What is the kingdom of God? What is it like? How do I experience it? In the beginning of chapter 25 in verse one, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like this. There are 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out one night to light the pathway for the groom to come. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. And the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here is the groom, come out to meet him. And then the bridesmaids woke up, trimmed their lamps. But the foolish ones said to the wise, Could you give us some oil for our lamps?' They said, we don't have enough for us and for you. So they went into town to get oil for their lamps. And when they came back, it was too late. They were shut out of this great wedding banquet. What does that mean when it comes to the kingdom of God? That is a strange story. Here's the first point that I want to share with you about understanding that we might advance the kingdom of God. If we're going to advance the kingdom of God, we need to have a kingdom passion and urgency. A kingdom, passion, and urgency. To understand this point and to understand this parable, you have to know what getting ready for a wedding was like in Jesus' day. To understand that helps you understand this picture that Jesus was giving of the kingdom of God. So in Jesus' day, the preparation or the leading into a wedding went something like this. A guy would go to the parents' house of the woman that he wanted to marry. And he would ask her father if he could marry her. If the father said yes, the whole town would know a wedding is going to happen. They wouldn't even need to get invitations or anything. They would know because the father said yes, a wedding is going to happen. But some things had to take place before this wedding. One the groom-to-be would go to his father's house or his father's land and he would start building a house, a place for him and his future bride to live. Maybe you've heard Jesus use the metaphor of this before when he said in John chapter 14, in my father's house, there are many mansions. I'm going to my father's place to prepare a place for you. See, Jesus was already setting in place that the church is the bride-to-be of Christ. And so Jesus goes to his father's realm, the kingdom of God, to prepare a place for you and I. We collectively are the bride of Christ. And one day we're going to experience the place that, that Christ has prepared for you and I. So the bridesmaids, in the meantime, because until he's done finishing that place, there's no wedding. But they've got to be prepared because it could be any time. The wedding could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be next month. It could be next year. We don't know. He's preparing the place. So in the meantime, the bridesmaids have two jobs. One is to tend to the bride. They have to wake up every day like that's going to be the day that the groom's going to come. So they help the bride with her hair, with her dress, with her makeup. They make sure the flowers are in place, the musicians are ready. And then when the day gets late and night comes, they go out to the road with their lamps and they light the pathway for the groom to come. But he doesn't come that night. So then the next day they start all over again. They help her with their hair, with their dress, with their makeup, make sure the flowers are in place, the musicians are ready. The day gets late, it gets nighttime. They go out to the road with their lamp and... He doesn't show up that night. Next day, they do it all over again. Well, you know, after a while, these bridesmaids might get tired of that. They might say, I want to get married. Why am I out here for her? What about me? Who's tending to me? Who's doing my hair? I'm sick of this. <laughs> I know that was kind of an urban bridesmaid right there. <laughs> <laughs> so they might, they might get lazy. Apathy might fall in they might not bring as much oil to light their lamps. Here is the point of kingdom, passion, and urgency. You and I, until Christ returns, as members of the church, we are bridesmaids. That's right. I know, fellas, just get this in your mind. If we all are, because in another place, in other places in the Bible, it says we are all sons, which means we're all heirs. So if the ladies had to get their head around that, that we're all sons, well then guys, you got to get your head around, we're all bridesmaids. And one of our jobs, spiritually, metaphorically, is we have to tend to the bride. Well, who is the bride? The bride is the church. Our job is to tend to the bride so that the bride is glorious in in being prepared for the wedding. I've officiated a lot of weddings and I've learned a lot of things when I officiate these weddings. One I've learned is that the wedding's not gonna start until the bride-to-be is ready. The guys can be all ready. That doesn't matter. Until she's ready, it's not gonna happen. So about 15 minutes before the wedding's supposed to start, I always go and knock on the door where the bride and the bridesmaids are and her personal attendant and stuff and uh, to see if she's ready. And when they invite me in, I promise you, every time I've gone in to see the bride on her wedding day, she is glorious, stunning, beautiful, awesome. Not one time have I gone in that room and looked at the bride and said, ooh, uh, you know, maybe you need another hour. to get Does he know this is how you look right now? Not once have I done that. Every time I've officiated a wedding, the bride is beautiful, stunning. One of the reasons why she's stunning and beautiful is because of all the people tending to her. All the people that went with her when she got her hair done and the people helping her with her makeup, the people that helped her pick out her dress and they all cried when she picked it out and they were all and they looked at her and said, oh my God, let me help you with this. And then she was beautiful. Because of the people tending to her Walking with her, she's gorgeous. What does it mean for the church to be beautiful, stunning, glorious? Is it how big your church is? Your budget? Where you're located? The ethnic makeup of your church? The denomination you're in? If you got a celebrity pastor? No. When there is a sense of passion and urgency for the lost and the broken. And that passion and urgency is pursued. The church, the bride of Jesus is stunning, beautiful. Every time somebody gives their life to Christ, every every time someone who's lost is found within your church, Marin Covenant Church, Marin Asian Community Church, every time someone comes to know Jesus as their personal Savior and they understand their God mission and their God purpose and they understand that they're gifted and they're resourced and God created them for something wonderful and awesome, every time that happens, the church gets more beautiful and more glamorous and more stunning and more amazing and more pretty and more all that. So we can't lose our passion. When churches start to look ugly is when they lose their passion for the lost, when they lose their passion for people, when all of a sudden material things are prioritized higher than broken communities and broken people and broken families and hurting people. When that happens, all of a sudden, the church is not as glamorous as it once was. If you, keep your sense of urgency and passion. We don't know. And every time we live in this passion and urgency, our lives become the lamps that light the pathway. So so you can tell people, why are you loving lost people? Why are you going after broken and hurting people? Why are you in one of the most unchurched regions in the United States of America? You are here because you are working to light the pathway for Jesus to return. And you don't know when that's gonna happen. You don't know the day you don't know the hour, you don't know the year, and so you passionately and and with urgency, you pursue this mission because it lights a dark road in a broken world. And it says, Jesus, come. Whenever you're ready, Jesus, we're ready. We're not going to fall asleep. We're not going to get lazy. We're not going to get drowsy. We have such a sense of passion. Jesus, you come whenever you want. We're lighting the road. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. There's a second picture that Jesus gives us for the kingdom in verse 14. He says, again, the kingdom, it will be like a man, a master, going on a journey who called his servants or slaves and entrusted his wealth to them. To one slave or servant, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another, one. Each according to their ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves or servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two bags of gold also came and he said the same thing. Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold, master, he said, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And to that slaver servant, he called him lazy and wicked. This second point, if we're going to be advancers of the kingdom of God, not only do we need to have a kingdom passion and urgency, we need to be about kingdom multiplication and stewardship, or simply put, kingdom generosity. Um, To understand this kingdom point from this parable, you need to know what slavery was like in Jesus' day. Slavery was not like the slavery experienced in the beginning of the United States of America. That slavery was about free labor through the denial of, a, of, of personhood of a whole group of people. So there was a whole group of people. I'm a descendant of these people who were slaves. And in order for them to, be, to provide free labor to build the economy of a nation, we had to be denied our personhood. There was even a question if we had a soul that could be saved. But that's not the slavery in Jesus' day. The slavery in Jesus' day was about debt. You were in debt to someone, but you didn't have it. You, you didn't have the resources to pay off your debt. So you became a slave to the person you were in debt to. And once you worked off your debt, you were free. That, that was the slavery system Jesus was talking about here. And so it'd be like, you know, a, you owe Visa money. You don't have it. So you're like, I guess I have to go work for Visa. And then when I work it off, then I'm free. And I don't owe them anything, right? Now, what's interesting about this story <coughs> is that instead of the focus being on what these slaves owe their master, the focus is that the master is giving these servants or slaves portions of his wealth and then he leaves them. Now, I'm just, I'm, if I was one of those servants and the master gave me five bags of gold and then he left, I might leave too. I mean, I know that's wrong, that's not Christian. I, I mean, so he was putting a lot of trust that these slaves could take his wealth and run off with it. They could squander it. There's no time. I mean, he's putting a lot of trust in slaves. But this is Christianity 101. You see, humanity is in debt to the master of the universe. Because of sin... Because of our arrogance, our pride, our division, our dysfunction, our hatred, our individualism, all of these things within broken humanity has created sin debt in the kingdom of God. You do not want to get the invoice on sin debt. You do not want to know the compound interest rate on your sin debt to God. And this is the messed up thing. If you were to say, okay, God, I'll be your slave and I'll just work. I'll just be good and I'll be unselfish and I'll be kind and I'll be loving and, and, I'll, and I'll share and, and, and I'll be about community and not just me. I'm going to work and I'm going to work off my sin debt. You can work as hard as you want, but as long as we are yet in this broken vessel, there's not anything we can do in our own power. Not enough good deeds to pay off this sin debt. But here's the good news God in heaven sends the greatest. Asset, the greatest commodity in the kingdom economy down here to pay the debt. When, I heard a preacher say this. He said, when, G, when God sent Jesus down here, the kingdom Nasdaq shook. The bear and the bull could not contain themselves when Jesus came down here and through his shed blood, he eradicated sin debt in the name of Jesus. Now, those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are no longer slaves. We are now stewards. And what God has done, like this master in this story, is God has given you and I wealth. Let's call it kingdom capital that God has invested. Time, treasure, talent, your praise, your worship, your prayer, your abilities, your insight, your stories, your experiences, God can take all that and hand it back to you like a bag of gold. Mm -hmm. Here's the question. What are you doing with the bag of gold, the kingdom capital, the kingdom resources that God has given you? Are you using it to impact the lives of the lost, the broken? on your job, in your neighborhood, in your family? Or have you taken what God has invested in you and placed it in a hole? Why did the guy do that? Maybe there's something we can learn. I think there's two things going on here. One, he put his bag of gold in a hole because he didn't get as much as the other two. He was comparing. Sometimes we don't use our kingdom resources and capital because we're comparing ourselves with other people. We go, well, I don't preach like him, so I'm just gonna put my gift in a hole because it's not as important as his gift. I'm not as extroverted as her. I I don't sing like she does. I don't play an instrument like he does. I don't know how to crunch numbers like that person does. And so when we compare our capital with somebody else's capital, we start feeling like like we don't have as much to contribute to God's kingdom as somebody else. Don't compare, contribute. (laughs) Praise God for what you have. That's why the Bible is full of stories of people with so little doing so much in God. The boy that all he had was a lunch, but that kingdom capital fed thousands of people. A widow who said to a prophet, this is all I have left and I was going to eat it and my son was going to eat it and then we were going to die. But in the hands of God, that kingdom capital Set up transformation. You are the resourced, beloved vessel of God. There is more in you than you know. Do not put your story, your experiences, your gifts, your talents in a hole. Be a steward. Be generous. Have a fierce kingdom mentality. And then for the last kingdom point since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And if I was in that story, if I was in that audience of that king, I would have the same question that those folks had. King, when did I do that? You're the king. You don't need me to feed you. You you have access to a great banquet table every day. When were you in prison? I mean, you're the king. You could pardon yourself. When did that happen? He said, as you've done this to the least of these, you've done it to me. Not only do we need a kingdom passion and urgency, not only do we need to be about kingdom multiplication and stewardship, we also need to be about kingdom compassion and justice. You know, there's this big debate in our nation right now of how social ills get solved. Are people just to take responsibility and pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Should the government create a plethora of programs to help the marginalized and the downtrodden and the under-resourced? It is the great debate of our government system probably since the beginning of that system. It has caused deep demonizing and dysfunction. And yeah, I've got some thoughts about that, but I'm really not a politician. I'm really a preacher. And so because of that, I want to say this. I think the church has to stand in the gap. I think the church has to follow the ways and the teachings of Jesus and say, wait a minute, we follow a savior that gave the paralyzed mobility. We follow a savior where a diseased outcast woman could just touch his clothes and she was healed. We follow a savior that walked into a funeral and told a dead girl to get up and she did. And so in the light of that, the church is gonna have to figure out free health care to those that don't have it. The church is gonna have to figure out the restoration of those that are incarcerated. The church is gonna have to figure out how to be a blessing to the broken, how to feed those that are malnutritioned. The church is gonna have to figure that out because we've been given kingdom capital. One of the things that the ministry that I'm involved in right now, World Impact, is doing is being about the work of providing an environment in partnership with the church where those that are in prison who get out are restored and loved back in to the purpose that God really has for them. We have a program right now where in prisons all across the nation, including here in the Bay Area, we are providing seminary training and job training to men and women in prison. Through the generosity of Marin Covenant Church, we have been able to partner with churches in Oakland and in Richmond through your generosity and your prayers and your sacrifice, where not only are we providing this training in in prison, but when these men get out of prison, we are connecting them to churches And we are buying houses where these men can come and live with other Christian men who work on our staff to continue to pray with them, to walk with them. Most of the time, men that get out of prison and return to prison do so because the people that they did crime with are waiting for them, but the people walking with Christ are not waiting for them. And so we're working to make sure that as soon as they come out of those prison walls, there are beloved men and women waiting for them saying, we'll take you. You can come to our church. We will hire you. We will walk with you. We will hold you accountable, trusting the skills that have been imparted in them while they were in prison through ministries like Prison Fellowship and World Impact and Awana. And so thank you for that. It is possible, sisters and brothers, no matter how upside down, how dark, how broken this world is, it is possible for us to advance the kingdom and show a preview of this world sitting upright when you know who you are. I started with comic bookology. Let me end with it. I gotta tell you something, and I hope you don't think I'm a comic book heretic when I tell you this, but um, there is a big difference between Superman and Batman. And, and I just gotta break it down to you so you understand this. I, man, I really hope y'all won't be mad at me after I say this. Batman is not a real superhero. Yep, that's right. His real name is Bruce Wayne. That's right, I told it. I told it. Batman is Bruce Wayne. And he's not a superhero. He can't fly. He can't see through walls. He can't jump over buildings. He can't run faster than a locomotive. He has no superpowers. He's a guy who grew up very wealthy, and he used his wealth to create the persona, the person known as Batman. And he has no power. He lives by gadgets. He has a bat belt, a bat cave, a bat car, a bat boat, a bat plane. He has a butler. When you need your butler to help you solve crime, you know you. Don't don't have no power you're asking your butler what should i do alfred alfred what do you think do you know how many times alfred had to pick up batman on the street bring him back to the cave and mend his broken bones and then he went to the circus and found a guy named robin and put some orange long johns on him and some yellow boots and a green shirt i mean that boy had no say in his wardrobe that's batman But Superman, (laughs) Superman has power. Do you know that Superman's not even from here? His citizenship is in another realm. And when enemies from his realm fight against him, they don't call him Clark Kent. They call him the son of his father. He's known by his father and his citizenship is in another place. I wish I had time to preach to (laughs) y'all. Brothers, you are Superman. There was supernatural power bubbling up on the inside of you. You don't have to live by gadgets, brothers. You don't have to wear a mask at night. You don't have to try to dig into some, some tool bag of gadgets that actually just do nothing but portray false masculinity? Why not live not under a mask, not with gadgets, but why not live as the supernatural man that God created you to be? Why not be the super boy that God created you to be, knowing that your citizenship and your power comes from another place? Did I tell you that there's a difference between Batgirl and Wonder Woman? <laughs> Batgirl, her name is Barbara, okay, just so you know. She And most of the time, she don't even, she didn't even show up at the crime scene on time. I don't know if she was doing, getting her nails done. I don't know what she was doing. But Barbara, there, you notice there's not a movie called Batgirl yet. All right. But there's a movie coming out called Wonder Woman, and then that's going to lead to the Justice League movie. It's going to be awesome. But anyway, um, Wonder Woman has this supernatural ability that when people are in her presence, they can't lie. When someone is in the presence of Wonder Woman, they're lying, their crime, their evilness gets dismantled. They are forced to confess. People repent in the presence of Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman's presence and power leads people to repentance and confession. You're Wonder Woman. You don't need to live by gadgets. You don't need to live by false images of some fallen female that get presented to you in, in, in the media. You are the wonderfully made daughter of God. You're, you're Wonder Woman. Some of y'all that are married, you know, you just need to live into this. When you're driving home after church, you know, guys, you just need to look at your wife and say, do you know you were married to Superman? You didn't even know that, uh-huh. did you? Did <laughs> you? You know, it's on my chest. You know? And you can just look back at him and say, you know, if you weren't married to Wonder Woman, you wouldn't be all that super. You know, you could just <laughs> play with that. On the way, I'll see what. Okay. Well, anyway, um, when this church, Marin Covenant and Marin Asian Community Church, when you come into a deep understanding that you are two congregations made up of supermen and Wonder Women, Your citizenship is in the kingdom of God. You have supernatural power flowing through you by the Holy Spirit. More lost people will be found. More broken people will be blessed. More crushed communities will find Christ. More inmates in prison will come out and be welcomed into a new life. God, I thank you for these two congregations. And I pray, God that you will use both of these churches in concert to be a blessing to Marin, to be a blessing to the Bay Area, to be a blessing to the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.